This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. In two days, only on Disney Plus. My name is Taylor. Welcome to the Eras Tour. Experience Taylor Swift's record-breaking Eras Tour. Does anyone here know the lyrics? Ruben! Taylor Swift, the Eras Tour. Taylor's version. With four additional acoustic songs. Streaming March 14th, only on Disney+. This episode is brought to you by ServiceNow. Everyone's talking about AI. Everyone. But where do you start? How can it actually help your business? The ServiceNow platform brings intelligence into every corner of your company. So every person, every system, every process, everything works better. Put AI to work. Tap the banner or go to servicenow.com slash genai to see how. How do you make a vacation last? How do you hold on to the joy, the clarity, the calm? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. This episode is brought to you by PWC. When unprecedented times are all the time, it's time to start walking the talk. Leaders like you turn to PwC to see and stay ahead. Upskill your workforce, use intelligent automation, and transform big ideas into breakthrough reinvention. Explore the human-led, tech-powered solutions that help you reinvent. It's all part of the new equation. Learn more at pwc.com. Season 4 premiere of Westworld is over, but we are just getting started here on Post Show Recaps. Welcome back to the Welcome to Westworld podcast on Post Show Recaps. I am Josh Wiggler, just writing about a couple of NPCs alongside my co-host Mike Bloom. That's right, Josh. I've gone from a fly on the wall to I don't a, know, swarm a swarm of, of flies, flies on the wall. <laughs> my God, yeah. I got to call the exterminator for that one. Uh, yeah, maybe they did, and that's why that guy was passed out, because they uh, didn't ventilate properly. Yeah, passed out. Uh, let's let's call it passed out is what happened to that poor gentleman. Oh, my God, Mike. We are back in Westworld territory. A season four has officially premiered on HBO, the first new episode of Westworld since 2020. And if you didn't know that this was Westworld, you could be forgiven for that uh, in certain storylines, I think. Uh, a pretty... Uh, I don't know. I don't know how to describe this one, Mike. Um, you know, I'm, I'm glad that we've got the podcast for this because I sure could use a podcast to help explain what's going on with Westworld right now. 
So this is tough. This is like Dr. Melfi being a psychiatrist on The mm-hmm. Sopranos, right? Like, do we need our own podcast to turn to to be like, okay, how do we how do we podcast about this? Yeah, I think what we need to be doing is we'll do some sort of like offline podcast just for you and me. And then when we're done with that, we should come back with the official podcast that we put out on Post Show Recaps just to make sure that we've got all of the uh, the flies out of the ointment, as it were. Oh, my goodness. Yes, the Westworld season four premiere is here. And I do think, though, to your point, I mean, look, there is one, I wouldn't say errant thread because it's a rather large thread, but like we have a brand new ass character in very familiar settings to acquaint ourselves with. I will say, though, that I think it really behooves people if they haven't yet, maybe either rewatch Westworld season three or like listen to the podcast covering Westworld season three. Cause I do think, particularly the Caleb Mave stuff and especially the William stuff. If you do not remember the post credit scene of the season three finale, you will have next to no clue yeah. as to what the hell is going on there. Uh, well, we have some clues as to what's going on there at the very least, Mike, though I think that we, much like everybody else, we're going to be trying to puzzle this thing out together, trying to get to the center of this new maze here for season four of Westworld. This podcast rolling out right after the episode has aired. Uh, so these are our very, very first pass reactions to the new episode of Westworld. It will not be our final word on the subject. We've got a feedback show coming your way later this week we would love to get feedback from all of you your theories what you've got questions about what you liked what you didn't like about the westworld season four premiere we want to hear from you you can write in westworld at postshowrecaps.com that's westworld at postshowrecaps.com you can email me as well josh at postshowrecaps.com hey you can email mike too, mike at postshowrecaps.com and if you want to tweet at us as well at round howard at a mike bloom type That is us on Twitter. You can also tweet at our third co-host, the great Joe Garfine, at Joe Pinionated, who is unable to be with us for this premiere recap. A lot going on in Joe's world. If you can spare some good vibes to send to Joe, we would really Mm -hmm. appreciate that. I'm sure she would as well. She would love to hear from all of you. We're going to have Joe back on the podcast as soon as she is able to join us. Um, But I know that she's already got the brain ball firing up with (laughs) this new episode of Westworld. So I cannot wait until we get her back on the pod to share her takes um but yes uh many ways to get your feedback in we're gonna have this feedback show for you later in the week once we've all had a little more time to process this episode this is the first pass we will inevitably get things wrong but we are going to try and apply the past few weeks of cramming all of westworld uh (laughs) we're gonna see if we can't put any of that to bear on what is going on here in season four of Westworld, which it should be noted, uh, this is if you like wandered into Westworld and you were like very confused about what's happening on the show right now, you're not alone. Uh, it is uh, it is for the first time, Mike. We are dealing with um, a significant time jump between seasons. Um, Not that we haven't dealt with significant time jumps within seasons. Uh, That has been a thing when we've been (laughs) playing across multiple periods of time, such as season one. But by and large, like the main action from season one to season two is pretty immediate. The main actions from season two and three, I think it's like a couple of months that pass. Bernard says 92 days since Mm -hmm. like encounter with Dolores Abernathy. So yeah, only a few months. And so in this case, we're looking at what? Eight years uh, have passed between the end of season three and the start of season four. And there was uh, the setup for this huge like uh, uprising of the robots and the fall of human civilization. And eight years later, I mean, in some ways, Mike kind of just looks the same. 
You know, uh, there's some ways in which it looks like not much has changed at all. Well, that's the thing that Caleb's uh, new coworker bemuses, right? I mean, it's almost a little regressive in that certain capacities, it seems that a lot of like the automation, I think that we saw in season three has been rolled back at least, you know, should be mentioned the fact that now Caleb's closest coworker is indeed a human instead of a robot like it was back in season three that ended up saving his life. And this guy keeps talking about like, getting rid of all the bots. I'm not sure if he was just referring to Rehoboam and the insight of it all, or if he really was referring to like, okay, no more riot bots, you know, that uh, a lot of these things are still going to adapt the futuristic technology, right? We're still going to have the self-driving cars. It seems like still going to have like those weird drone-esque helicopters, but not necessarily having AI behind a lot of these things. And maybe that is a bit of pushback from insight, or if it's just referring to like, hey, this thing failed, but, it just so happens, you know, that when big changes come about in people's lives, I do think like the the methodology of the empires and the ruling classes tend to like push the status quo above all. And so, yeah, to your point, we see Caleb working in a very similar situation as when we found him initially working in season three. Now, as we find out more about him in this time period, it seems that things have changed for him a bit more. He definitely has a better lot in life, but by and large, yeah. And maybe it's because we're moving coast as well, right? We move from LA over to New York for this one. Maybe New York is just more resilient in that way. But yeah, I mean, uh, you could look at this and like, oh, okay, I guess a lot can happen in seven years. I mean, we are currently living in a time where a lot can happen in seven years. Seven like, minutes. Can, yeah. yeah, exactly. I cannot like uh, turn my nose up at it too much. But yeah, I mean, that being said i feel like this foundation is going to crumble again pretty quickly sure yeah and I, there's a lot of questions too as to um you know a big central theme uh to westworld is what is the nature of your reality and what is real and what is not and what does it even mean to be unreal uh and i think that this question for me at the very least is very very actively front of mind when i'm looking at the christina storyline specifically that's evan rachel wood not playing dolores at least as far as we know the show yeah. Delored because she has hair now. The 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 show seems to be playing it as Evan Rachel Wood is playing this completely different character. She's as human. She's uh, she's Christina. She is a writer of NPCs. (laughs) She's human. She's Christina. She's human. She's She's Christina. She's everything. Uh, They should put that uh, in like a Maybelline campaign or something. Uh, And so she has her she (laughs) Maybelline is good. She has her own whole different existence uh, that is completely foreign to much of what we have seen on Westworld so far. Or is it, uh, you know, with the teddy of it all at the end of the episode, too? So there's a lot of questions that I'm tracking as far as the overall arc of the show, the flow of the characters as we have seen them thus far through three seasons and now counting into four. um, But also a lot of brand new questions that have been introduced. But this time jump is not an insignificant deal, Mike. I do feel like if you are not plugged into Westworld right now, or if you took a break and then you decide to come back for season four, I have to imagine you are deeply, deeply lost. Uh, <laughs> and I also would think that you're pretty lost if you haven't done any of your like brush up on what's go- what's been going on on brush Westworld. up, yo, Westworld. We have a bunch of podcasts that you could go back and listen to to help you there. Uh, that was the reason for those podcasts. But what's your sort of overall knee-jerk take on this premiere? Is it what you expected? Is it better? Is it worse? Just uh, some, some vibes from you, Mike, as we're going to go into the story specifics. Yeah, Westworld premieres post-season one 
are always a little tough because I feel like it's always dropping us back into the pool. But in a way, it's almost like dropping us into the pool and then teaching us to swim later so that when we go back to that initial moment, we're like, okay, now I can swim now. Now the pool makes a lot more sense. This is a very muddled metaphor, but I think it it goes forward to say they purposely give us very little information in the premieres of this show, usually. And then once they sort of backfill a lot of the reveals and exposition, this happened particularly in season three, right? Where we just like got to know Caleb just like carte blanche in the beginning, didn't really know who he was from Adam, like got some teases of him, some stuff, but really found out his story later on in the season. That explained the premiere much more. I think that is very clearly what is happening with Christina here. And so it's really tough. We're going to try our best here, but like very tough to gauge this episode from just a singular basis because the impression I very much got here, Josh, is like, yeah, we're confused, but we're supposed to be. And then this is going to be one of those things where once we get the big reveal as to who slash what Christina is, what's going on with this, you know, Olympiad company, then it says, oh, okay, now we can go back and watch the premiere. So listen, you put out the disclaimer of like, we might be wrong. I'll put out the disclaimer, we will be wrong. Right. Uh, I have my best Joe Garfine hat on right now, trying to like throw out a bunch of theories. All of them will probably be incorrect but that's what the show is trying to make us do at this moment and i'm fully prepared to like really recontextualize everything in a few weeks time once like we get this world shattering revelation that will make the rest of it make sense so i'm having a tough time like wrapping my head around the christina of it all the caleb and mave stuff is actually much easier to digest imo especially if you've seen season three it just seems like a natural continuation it was like they hit pause on their revolution and now they're picking it back up uh so i'm glad that like that's the simpler road by comparison. But obviously I do think the big to do is all the new happening this season. Is there any part of you that is like uh, annoyed or feeling any kind of way about the fact that they yada yada the robot revolution? I mean, for now, right. I think there's a very good chance, especially given the show's ability to futz with timelines that like, we are going to see bits and pieces. We saw smidges of it, right? Yeah, Maeve has like some yeah. flashes of them going all, again, Mission Impossible 2, Tanduy Newton style, and like blowing up some sort of repository. Maybe that was the place where Solomon was initially. So, and like, Caleb was like looking pretty worse for wear at one point. Yeah, which then, you know, certainly sets things up for one of the things that I definitely want to talk about as we uh, parse our way through this episode. So, I would say maybe it was a little odd to not pick up immediately, considering that you mentioned it before, season one to two. Season one ended with the beginning of the robot revolution within the park. So it only made sense to like pick up from there. And I think one of the things that people were annoyed with was that latest Bernard timeline where it was like everything after that happened. And it's like, what are we exactly doing here with Connells and, you know, and Strand and all that stuff? Uh, You know, at least in this version, or at least in that version, we like immediately picked up after it. I would have liked to see how they ended up getting back to the the world order of things, unless it really is just a statement of like, yeah, you know, there were riots for a while, but then people eventually took power and said, we're not going to be like in sight, even though they probably were. And like, there's probably a Rehoboam 2.0 out there somewhere. Yeah, I mean, I'm gonna, you know, I, I think that the, the way that this premiere dealt with all of that time and seemingly has positioned us for like checking back in on some of that stuff and the way in which we're going to learn about what happened after immediately season three 
feels very Westworldian, I guess is the point, right? Like it's hard to be like, oh, uh, I'm, I'm bitterly disappointed that we didn't immediately go into the robot revolution and instead are dealing with some sort of like discombobulated timeline when that is just the show. Uh, so like there's, there's a piece of me where like I understand the frustration that some people might have. For me and what I've like come to expect from Westworld is very much this idea that you're speaking of, of, of things play very differently on a rewatch when you know the score, when you know what's actually going on with a lot of this stuff. Um, and I expect that it'll be very similar for season four. And I expect that there's going to be a lot of moments throughout the season where I'm going to want to go back and rewatch these earlier episodes of the season, this premiere no different from the rest. Um, so let's dive into it. We'll do some theory crafting as we go. We'll also just kind of like talk through the storylines as they exist on the show thus far. And I guess the first one to deal with, although I think Christina is like the headline and she's where I want to go next. Mm -hmm. I think we should start at the beginning. A very good place to start Mike Bloom as uh, William, the man in black, Ed Harris, who went through so much trouble to go back into being man in black mode with the cowboy hat and everything. Once again, Mike, uh, seems like he's just playing like uh, some sort of ruthless businessman version of the character, uh, albeit with a little bit more of a killer edge than we have seen from this side of William in the past. Um, talk us through this, uh, this first sequence and how you felt about it. Yeah, so this is a little losty, right? Where in seasons two and three, it was like, let's focus on this character that we know nothing about and then eventually bring in characters that we do know. Uh, here, it looks like we are... So are we at the Hoover Dam or are we at like its equivalent, essentially? We're in like some sort of gulch, mm -hmm. right? As it seems like this man who we are following is part of this ruling, as William would call it, a cartel that sort of has dominion over this storage facility that is housed within the dam and that essentially like William's going there to tell not ask to give it over for essentially what we can only assume again based on the season three post credit scene is essentially like to help with uh Holoris's aka Charlotte Hale in uh, Dolores in Charlotte Hale's body's plan for the robot takeover as you said, uh, to essentially, I would imagine, be like a facility to store and rebirth more hosts. Though I think we'll get into that a later on about like how possible that is. And to sort of like yada yada through it, the guy initially refuses to sell the land, uh, again, sort of like brandishing his own weapon in a manner of speaking. And William and Holoris brandish what seems to be their own very different, very tiny, very insectoid weapon in the form of these flies. Uh, this guy walks into his house, sees a bunch of flies, passes out, wakes up. Next thing he knows, he is sort of like commanded seemingly against his will to like slaughter all the other members of his cartel and then, uh, you know, kill himself. Yeah, while once William he's like freed. Yeah, he's like, can I, uh, am I done? And I was like, yeah, you're done. And then yeah. he, he decides to uh, take his own life or he's programmed to, it's hard to say. So let's talk about that. I mean, let me just sort of pause it first by looking ahead to the future instead of focusing on like the present right now to me at least i think it's very clear what they're trying to do here and it lies in one very simple line where william tries to play hardball right he offers them a choice uh which has been a big theme in westworld either they sell this land or he takes it by force and you know this guy basically uh you know again a little tries to big dog him being like yeah our predecessors did the same thing and they're buried at the bottom of the hoover dam like linda from survivor africa uh and then william just responds door number two then 
And Josh, I he think says, that's the plan for Mañana. Mañana. But I think that's the plan. Door number two, I think quite literally is the plan. Uh, I think it's that if they are able to somehow get information for the Valley Beyond uh, season two, it's, it's uh, like subtitle was known as The Door. Maybe it's because I watched that trailer and we do see one of those, uh, those whatchamacallit, uh, those Bioshock Infinite-esque like tears right. open up, much like we saw with the Valley Beyond. I think if they're able to get the information, I think they're opening the door again right here, right now. Do we think that they are trying to create um, their own new Valley Beyond? Can there be two robot heavens, Mike? My God, that sounds like a Mitch album book waiting uh -huh. to happen. The five robots I meet in heaven yeah. and the other heaven. I, but why? Right? Holoris's plan is ultimately saying this world is not meant for you. This world is meant for us. Why would you then want to create like, okay, here's your other world to go to robots. Instead, you like cut their hands off, right? Like right. you take, remove the options. I think that's one reason why she's probably still after this, this encryption data, uh, you know, and that's what William I'm imagining is referring to, right? He's going to talk to this guy about how uh, he he lost something eight years ago. Uh, that some the person that took it from him is dead. I'm assuming that's Dolores. Can we assume that he's speaking about that encryption key to the Valley Beyond? Yeah, I would think that that tracks. I mean, and it has been such a big deal on the show ever since season two. It ended up playing a huge role in season three. And really the advancement of the key to the Valley Beyond in season three was that it was in Bernard's head the entire time. And notably, Bernard, as well as Charlotte, uh, both Jeffrey Wright and Tessa Thompson, are completely missing from uh, the season four premiere. Um, but the fact that the season three finale ended with Bernard using the key to go to the Valley Beyond, we have no idea what happens to him next, except that he wakes up covered in dust sometime later. Um, that I feel like the idea of that world still being a major, major deal and like the football on the field um, totally tracks for me. Yeah, so I think that is the next steps with regards to like what they're going to do with it now that they have control of it. But Josh... Let's talk about the flies. We mentioned them before. This is going to be, in my opinion, a large running theme of season four. Uh, you know, we're, I'm sure we could even do like an entire separate thing on the meaningfulness behind the credit sequence, as happens every season on Westworld. They're changed just a little bit. Should be noted that I feel like every season in Westworld, the credit sequence like shows them synthetically creating an animal. I believe season one was a horse, uh, season two was a bull. Season three was a bird, and this one is a fly. So they are all about the flies this season, perhaps connecting back to, again, those very first touchstone moments from the series yeah. where they say Dolores memorably couldn't hurt a fly, and she ends the pilot by smacking a fly, showing that, indeed, she has changed her programming. Not only uh, can she uh, can the hosts hurt flies now, now they can build flies that can hurt people. Yeah. In in modern America, yeah. fly hurts you. Fly hurts you. Um, do you think, Mike, that the emphasis on flies is because the hosts are finally realizing we're robots? It's ridiculous that we're not flying around. Um, do you think by the season four finale, we are going to see the man in black sprout wings? Oh, my God. He becomes the fly guy. Yeah, we're uh, going to do it. We're going to have Jeff Goldblum show up at the end of season four. Uh, it's going to be great. I mean, this is chaos theory in a manner of speaking. Yeah, so here is my big What's that fly. TMNT bad guy, Baxter or something? Oh, the yeah. The one who turns into the fly. Yeah, yeah, but like not Jeff Goldblum style, like purposely. No. Sort of like Bebop and Rocksteady, like yeah. mixing Baxter DNA Stockman. 
Baxter Stockman. Yeah, that that's, like, yeah that, that's a typical <laughs> '90s rich guy name, right? Yeah, it's always Baxter. Mm-hmm. I've sure never is. met a Baxter who didn't have at least like a million dollar net worth. Personally, I also haven't met any Baxters personally. Yeah, just the dog, just the dog. Shout um, out to all the Baxters out there. So here's my big fly theory. I mean, my thought right now is I don't just go back with with fly symbology to the very first episode. I go back to an episode in season two where Dolores tells this story about uh, a spread amongst her her father's flock of cows, right, called Blue Tongue. Yep. And it was this idea of like, okay, well, we thought we'd just quarantine the sick cow and it would be fine. But it turns out that, no, the disease wasn't being spread via the cow. It was being spread via the flies. Uh, it's sort of like a little bit of a plague rat analog as well. My theory at the moment is that somehow, some way, there is an ability to, like, either get, like, host data into a human or like at least be able to to mind control them a bit right because we know that humanity they they sort of like uh disseminated them down into several lines of code in the season two finale maybe holoris has been able to like program these flies to not to get too udgy but like to get in their ear or to like be able to take control of their lower impulses so it's not that this guy in the opening was a host at all that he was like some sort of sleeper agent that it was more so that these flies are able to like get in the heads, maybe sometimes quite literally of humans and command them to do these things. Cause I don't know. I, it, if it is indeed a host, I'm, I'm, I'm admittedly getting a little tired of the trope of like, Oh, this person's actually a host. And they have been the entire time. Again, it's like saying getting tired of water being wet, but like, I want something a little bit different uh, when it comes to Westworld. And I wonder if that makes them almost appear even more dangerous, right? I keep going back to this image on the season four poster, which is of the red brain ball, which I believe means, again, a human consciousness inside like a, a host body, which was the ultimate goal of Delos back in season two. And so I do wonder if like, this is almost the test pilot of that, of like, if we could get these host s controls on humans, that's one way that we can enforce our new world order. The other thing, though, that I am thinking about, and I think that all of that's really interesting, and I think the idea of, like, the fly buzzing around in your head and, like, the voices telling you to do things you don't want to do is really compelling to chase down um, thematically. I think, though, that what we see in the end of season three is a man in black showing up and killing William uh, and seemingly having a lot of the same William characteristics and a lot of the William ethos, except that he's team host instead of team people at this point in time. Um, and one of the things that we saw a ton of in season three was Dolores killing people and replacing them with hosts effectively uh, like Connell's for, for instance, is a, is a big one, Charlotte as well. Um, and in all of those cases, those hosts knew who they were and what they actually were and what their role was. Like Charlotte is the one with the biggest identity crisis leading to the version of Dolores that is currently on the board in Tessa Thompson's character. Um, but she never thought that she was like actually Charlotte, you know, she's all, or at the very least, she always knows that there is something strange going on. Something's wrong uh, that she wants to, you know, unravel, but she doesn't think that she is directly Charlotte Hale. A big difference that seemingly is happening with this character in this opening, this cartel guy, assuming that he's killed and then replaced by a host, is that I think when he wakes up, 
it feels to this person like he's still just this person. Right. Um, that would be a, a fairly significant development if eight years down the line from season three, we are in the place where people can be like killed and replaced with what feels like an ongoing continuation of their <laughs> existence. Um, you know, I think that that is uh, certainly what they were striving for with James Delos. Uh, and that was something that William was intimately involved in in that process. So I think when we uh, when we had that that encounter between Ed Harris um, and Peter Mullen as James Delos in season two and at the end of Riddle of the Sphinx, he says, like, well, we might get there in a couple of years, right? He says, like, we might not be that far away, but it's just not mm -hmm. happening just yet. Well, we are now eight years down the line, at least from, from that moment in time, which feels like enough time to maybe advance that particular ball where James Delos as a robot should have just felt like James Delos yesterday when he died, uh, you know, right before. Um, so I, I wonder how much of that is going on where in season four we are going to see that part of the plan is replacing people with controllable hosts who are like literally controllable due to the way that they are created and programmed. And that could be part of Charlotte and the man in black's like totalitarian view over what people should look like in the future moving forward. But then I'm also looking at this as a possible path forward for another human character on the show. Uh, so I, I think that your idea is really, really solid. I think the possibility that humans are being replaced with hosts in this world is not something that I want to rule out yet either. Yeah, I will say also something to note is we talk about music all the time in this show, right? The idea of like Arnold playing a song for Dolores before he forced her to kill him that like repeats, repeats and repeats. Maybe it was just representative of like the fact that something was off. The music did <clears throat> did slow down when this guy ended up like walking into the office, right? And like killing all his fellow cartel members. So I don't know if it just represented that things were literally offbeat. Could it be like there was a music playing in his head from a manner of perspective, like commanding him? I'm not entirely sure. I do think this is one of those things we're looking back, especially with the flies. We're going to be like, oh, okay. This makes a lot more sense, but at least in the moment, I'm thinking this is the next step right now. It's like we can take over people in a manner of speaking, maybe even like in the short term, right? Like you get uh, two minutes of control over a human and this is what you choose to do. You get sort of like going back to the video game analog, you get like a play test. You know, you're at E3 and you get like 30 minutes playing this game and that's about it. What are you going to do with it? Probably kill people. Almost certainly kill people. Um, anything else from the cold open or from William generally that you want to get into? Yeah, I mean, William, uh, at least, you know, he is a man in black here. Obviously, he can't wear the Westworld garb because he'll be like, you're walking around like a freaking cowboy. What's happening? But I do like the wardrobe choice to just have him wear all black. I mean, it's it's great in that, like, now, I don't know, you've mentioned before how, like, Ed Harris doesn't necessarily love the complications on the character. I thought he was the strongest last season when like he was broken and we finally got that brilliant sequence of like the council of Williams where he ends up killing them all. But this is truly letting Ed Harris be Ed Harris. And so I'm imagining we're not going to get a hail like sequence in season three, right? Where he is like reconciling with who am I? What am I doing? I think he is just like fully evil at the right hand of Charlotte Hale. And I think that's just what Ed Harris wants. So I really can't complain about it. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Most of you listening right now are probably multitasking. Yep, while you're listening to me talk, you're probably also driving, cleaning, exercising, or maybe even grocery shopping. But if you're not in some kind of moving vehicle, there's something else you can be doing right now. Getting an auto quote from Progressive Insurance. It's easy, and you could save money by doing it right from your phone. Drivers who save by switching to Progressive save nearly $750 on average. And auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Discounts for having multiple vehicles on your policy, being a homeowner, and more. So just like your favorite podcast, Progressive will be with you 24-7, 365 days a year, so you're protected no matter what. Multitask right now. Quote your car insurance at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. Let's go deeper into the episode, Mike. And um, while the episode doesn't play out each storyline in individual silos, they're playing across uh, the episode itself. I think it's going to be helpful to just talk about them in their entirety in individual components. And I think that we have put off talking about Christina long enough. Um, This is sort of the really, really, really big deal of season four thus far is that Evan Rachel Wood throughout Westworld has been playing Dolores. She's our main character. So much of the action is threaded through her awakening and her rebellion and then her renewed uh, desire to make the world a fair place, not just for all hosts, but also to give people a fighting chance. And then she dies after that. And we have a version of Dolores who is terribly uh, monstrous and scary and horrifying potentially in Charlotte Hale. But the Dolores prime, as it were, is gone. But Evan Rachel Wood remains on the show. And yet she is playing somebody who, if she is a host, if she is Dolores, she has no idea that this is the case. Instead, who is she, Mike, as far as the show is presenting her to us? She's a gamer, dude. Uh, Christina (laughs) seems to be someone that's living kind of like a humdrum life, it seems. Uh, She is just living in like a New York City apartment with her roommate Maya, played by Ariana DeBose. As Ariana, uh, you know, exposits in one of their opening scenes, like, you don't go anywhere, you don't do anything. It's essentially like work and then home. Uh, Her work is at Olympiad Entertainment, where she is uh, one of, like, a writer for a game, not even a game developer. She's essentially responsible for like creating characters and narratives, albeit a bit hamstringed in there. So like, yeah, she's living a fairly simple existence before her world shatters wide open. But Josh, let me bring up my big theory behind Christina 
right now, because I do wonder how much this will impact sort of like our judgment of this storyline, both in this episode and moving forward. Okay. Um, I'm curious to know, because basically what we're getting with Christina, I think if we just want to try and summarize it quickly, because uh, I think if we have like sort of like the umbrella look at it and then we can take it apart, is she is this writer for, it's like what, a virtual reality game effectively? Or just like video games in general. Yeah, in uh, this in this world, whether it's the future or who knows what, uh, it is uh, video games are very prevalent. Uh, big sort of like Matrix Four vibes. I <laughs> feel like to a certain degree. Oh man, when does Jonathan Groff show up as Teddy to replace Not him? Soon enough. Uh, no, just kidding, James Marsden. I'm thrilled you're back. Uh, so she's a writer for this video game company. She's focused on NPCs, non-playable characters. She's invested in giving them stories and details and lives despite the fact that these dates that she's going on the people who she's dating are like why are you doing that uh no one really cares don't people just like shoot the npcs and she admits uh, and- uh, she admits she does it for her much like walter white i did it for me uh and so that's her that's her whole vibe that's her whole deal um and uh, it's being played to us as if this is just we have not spent time in, in the New York City of the Westworld future. Now we are. She's on the High Line. So that's how you know she's in New York. Uh, you know, so they're they're playing that. That, relatively that and when I up. believe when Christina literally said, hey, I'm walking here. Yeah, I'm walking here. Excuse me. Could you get out of the way? Uh, that that's a really good moment. When she goes, I'm walking here. Come on. Yeah, when she's like shoving a hot dog, being like, Ah, go miss the Yankees game. Yeah, the robot Yankees. Uh, but there's there is this vibe that she is not just a writer. Uh, that this is not just a video game company that she is working for. And then indeed, we need to question the nature of our reality as well, Mike, as to whether or not any of what we are experiencing here is actual like brick and mortar physical world. Or are we in some sort of digital space once again, not unlike a Valley Beyond or a War World from season three? Because there is somebody here, uh, a person named Peter, who is played by Aaron Stanford, uh, who is an actor who has been in a number of things. He was the star of the 12 Monkeys TV show. Um, Mm -hmm. He was uh, briefly on Fear the Walking Dead as Jimbo, the beer master. Uh, He was Pyro in X-Men, in the X-Men movies. Oh my God. Once upon a time. Uh, So this is not just like a totally random person that they've enlisted for this role of this guy who is stalking Christina uh, is insisting that she is ruining his life, uh, that she is responsible for everything that is, uh, that is going wrong in his life and that she is uh, in control of that. Um, He's going to attack her in the night. He's going to accost her. He's going to get beaten up by a mystery man who we can assume by the end of it is the James Marsden character. That's Um, what I assumed as well. Yeah. We see him in shadow. So I would imagine that he's representing something. Uh, and Christina is going to witness this man. Uh, he's going to call her the next day, and he is going to jump off of a building um, uh, and uh, do that all in front of Christina and publicly. And later that night, she will have like that someday my prince will come moment on the balcony. <laughs> I want song. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she goes out to the balcony. And she's like, I'm, I'm going to dare to dream up a happy ending. And as she is saying that, The man who once upon a long time ago, Mike, back in the season two premiere, uh, Dolores told Teddy, I've seen how this story ends with you and me. Uh, As as Christina is talking about a happy ending, we end the episode and Christina's storyline as a result uh, this week uh, with going out into the night and seeing on the streets James Marsden, whether or not that's him as Teddy or a new character. 
he is back on the show and he has Christina very firmly on his radar. So that's like the literally what is happening on the show with the Christina storyline. Let's dig in deeper, Mike. You've got theories. All right. So before in our season four kickoff show, I was like, Westworld loves timelines. Could Bernard be in a future timeline? Scratch it. Reverse it. Here's the new thing. This storyline is taking place in the past. Christina, the reason why she looks like Dolores, she is the template slash inspiration for a future host by the name of Dolores Abernathy. Okay, so we think that this is taking place before season one of Westworld, or at least before the main storyline of season one of Westworld. And that would mean, when is this exactly? I don't know, like 20, 2020s, perhaps? Or no, because it's 20 to 50s, right? That's the thing as well, is like you could say, but the technology, but we saw very little of the park in the 2020s, right? Outside of those flashbacks in season two. What really is like kind of a smoking gun for me is that there's a moment when Christina is walking to work and she walks by like three of these bros walking down the stairs while she's walking up. And they're just having this like innocuous conversation saying like, this place will blow your mind. I can't believe you haven't gone there. And I'm wondering, Josh, are they talking about Westworld? Mm. Are they talking about the park? Now, look, there is a chance that they freaking Jurassic World did this shit. And they're like, oh, well, the park got destroyed. It's okay. Give it like seven years and we'll just bring it back again, even though it's a very bad idea. And that this is indeed taking place in the same timeline. But I do wonder if that's an indicator that this is taking place at a time before Westworld's destruction, uh, when this was still like a thing that the rich did for fun on the weekends. So the Westworld uh, Wikipedia uh, has a has a timeline section um, Thank that, God. that says that the Argos Initiative was initially formed by Robert Ford and Arnold Weber in the range of 2012 to 2014. Um, so if Christina is the basis for Dolores, this is happening somewhere in the 2010s, uh, maybe even the late aughts. Uh, which uh, feels, I mean, that that all just like feels a little off, obviously, considering the world we live in. Well, uh, yeah, they didn't, they didn't explicitly mention stuff. They didn't reference One Direction, so you know that they're not in the 2010s. No, definitely not. Um, I had the idea that there is a there is a world in which I think the the one that's like really easy to like sort of like play out right now. I think. Um, this being she's the she's the basis for Dolores, I think is very much on the table. I think that we are in some kind of matrix simulation oh, was no. some was something that I had posited as a possibility for this character. Well, it's interesting. They keep talking about tabs and the matrix is infamously about, you know, take one pill and take another pill. You know, I think um, we, you know, not to not to go too far down the rabbit hole, as it were, but the matrix franchise has dealt in similar territory of thinking that you are in the real world only to realize that you're being simulated and you're some sort of simulation and that the real path uh, towards freedom is going to be a lot more grueling and horrible once you realize that your brain is just jacked into some sort of evil robot monster enslavers who are feasting upon your your human likeness in order to power their robot cities in the future or whatever the hell was going on in the Matrix movies. That there could be a version of that that's happening here in, in Westworld. If Charlotte Hale won the robot revolution or whatever, 
and if she is, you know, um, uh, like experimenting on trying to get different versions of Dolores back so that she can learn about the key, for instance. Like, I think that Charlotte could be some sort of program that is being um, uh, manipulated in order to get Charlotte the information that she wants. I also had projected uh, during some of our preview shows that um, Bernard was, uh, Dolores initially was created um, through uh, interactions with Arnold. And then yeah. Bernard was created through uh, interactions with Dolores, who had interacted so much with Arnold that she could then create a Bernard. Uh, and then I have thought about the idea that Bernard could uh, rebuild Dolores based on his interactions <laughs> with Dolores previously, Six. but also bringing Teddy to bear on the situation. Talk about a copy of a copy of a copy. It's just so faded at this point. Uh, so I think, I think that there could be something like that, especially with Teddy's arrival at the end of this, uh, that he could be in league with Bernard. And maybe it's possible that this whole New York storyline is actually taking place in the Valley beyond or some sort of like, analogous uh type of place uh it's something that's untethered from the quote-unquote real world um are you are you seeing that as a possibility at all in watching the christina story definitely when it comes to the olympiad entertainment stuff right it would be so freaking on the nose if her job is to be writing these stories for non-playing characters when she's a non-playing character within a simulation right? right within like her own game in a manner of speaking I mean, what I do find interesting is you mention the character of Peter, who hasn't necessarily woken her up yet, but at least clued her in maybe to stuff that is happening. Should be noted, Dolores's father's name, who also helped clue her into what was happening, was also named Peter. Yep. Uh, so this could be something of like, oh, we programmed this simulation with touchstone for the character to make you realize who you truly were. Again, it could be more so that like, Christina ends up writing the story that she does want to use and she like ends up incorporating some of these people as characters which is another thing as well right Peter's entire argument this episode is like you're ruining my life your game uh so I mean could this be a thing of like indicating something in the future to your point is this like a test for for lack of a better term fidelity of okay we've sort of like firmly ensconced this person within this reality now let's sort of purposely put some bugs in there to glitch the system and see how she responds to it right right i think something like that could be on the table and then if we're also talking about the possibility of um you know uh, of like the the fly of it all uh to your point like could there be something that's going on with uh, like trying to find some measure of control over people uh and like if um if Peter is blaming Christina for his life being written and all of this, like could something that she is involved in unwittingly be like, she's like programming stories for people that are being um, like inserted into people's brains. Like, could that be something that's going on? Yeah. I'm going to put out another take here. I love me some. Ariana I hope De- Joe is listening. Joe, we're doing our best to, to, trying. Do, to do, to do your, our best impression of a classic Joe Garfine brain ball. Uh, we're working on it. We are. Yeah. Listen, it's a little bit of like, we got to, despite covering this, this show for the past three weeks, like we got to shake off the rust a little bit. No, this is well. fun. I love, I love having new Westworld to theorize about. I know that there's a lot of people who are like, ah, Westworld, it lost its way. And let me tell you this, uh, having watched this season four premiere, uh, it is definitely in its own world at this point. Like this show is being created in a manner of like, all right, well, maybe we lost a bunch of people, but whoever's stuck around, like we're going to really just 
keep doing what we've been doing and hope that they're going to stick around for the ride. And so they're continuing to get weirder and more confusing. And that's going to be frustrating for people for sure. I bet there are people who walked away from this season four premiere being like, I don't get it. I don't know what's going on. There's too much content. I'm not even going to try. It's literally our jobs to try, Mike. So there's that. We're going to stick around to do this because that's what we have signed on to do. But I love having a show like this, to be completely honest with you. Like, it's it's really fun to just try and, like, puzzle out. What the hell are you guys doing? Uh, I'm enjoying this part of the process. I love not knowing what the hell is going on right now. And I love being wrong about it yes, as well. Same. Because, like, yeah. it's, it's win-win where if we're right, awesome. Like, broken clocks. But, like, here we are. If we're wrong, that's part of the process. That means that the creators are doing their job and effectively, like, planning out reveals and twists that we truly did not see coming. Now, granted... They should be things that we don't see coming in the moment and then can look back on, look yes. back on the season four premiere. Important and be like, qualifier, yeah. Yeah, instead of just like, oh my God, they're actually living on Neptune this entire time. Uh, so I will also put out another theory then, or at least like a future prediction. I love me some Ariana DeBose, recent Oscar winner, fantastic Tony's host, go watch her opening routine. Uh, I do not think she is living to the end of the season. Ooh, okay. Do you think that she is who she purports to be, just Christina's friendly neighbor, or do you think that she's some kind of a plant? Yeah, I don't think this is like a total recall situation, right? Where like Christina has to fight her. I mean, maybe it ends up happening where if Christina is indeed part of some sort of programming that like she is programmed to kill this person. But I do feel like in Westworld, the usual almost like normal sidekicks of these characters almost always end up either getting like killed off or to your point, part of some larger purpose. So whether she's just a normie or does end up being part of some like larger plan for whatever reason, you know, the character is not really introduced with a huge amount of intrigue. It doesn't seem like she's fulfilling a particular purpose. So honestly, that to me, ironically enough, indicates that she will lose at some point, either her life or in the game in a manner of speaking. Okay. Interesting. Um, can I toss something else out there as a possibility for the Christina story? Please. What if the Christina story is taking place in the future? And obviously all of Westworld is taking place in the future. What if, though, it is taking place at a point that is further down the line than anything we have seen thus far? What if this is taking place in a world where some measure of harmony has been achieved between human and host kind, and there is some sort of blend between what the humans and the hosts are, maybe uh, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria type deal? Um, Could there be a world in which this Christina was like manufactured is a host is based on Dolores and whoever James Marsden is playing is based on Teddy. And that this is taking place in a world that is like a little bit freer from the, uh, the darkness that has dominated so much of the show. Okay. So then we'll have the revolution that began at the end of season three. We have the post revolution, which is in the, the current timeline with like the Maeve and Caleb stuff. And then we have a post-post-revolution, which is the Christina stuff? Mm, yes, that would be what I'm thinking, if this is sort of like a, a, a future time point, that this would be post-revolution and post-whatever-post-revolution storyline <laughs> we are dealing with in the eight years later. Yeah, that would be interesting, especially if maybe does that tie into this really dangling thread that has been around since the end of season two, where the final scene in the post credits of season two is William goes down into the forge, right, which is now like derelict and like overgrown. And uh, this ghost of Emily comes out, right, to basically confirm to him that he is a human host hybrid that has just been making the same loop that he's made. We have no idea at this moment when that happens. 
could it be something like they're conditioning this new version of Dolores to like go through the process again to come into her own so they could like bring her back to possibly combat that William or assist that William uh, like a uh, counter the human host hybrids in a manner of speaking I'm not entirely sure I do think to your point for for what it's worth the Christina stuff just seems so incredibly detached from everything else both in this episode and assumingly moving forward that I have to assume whether in the past or the future, it's a different timeline. Yeah. Uh, or, I mean, like, it could be a different world is also the possibility. Like, I think that that's the one that, like, this could be concurrent with the main action if it's, like, in some sort of Valley Beyond type of place, if not exactly the Valley Beyond, if not a Valley Beyond within the Valley Beyond, Mike. Wow. Uh, you know, maybe Bernard zaps his brain ball to the Valley Beyond and is like, wow, you guys have yet to uh, really... Um, you know, uh, build up here in this world. Uh, let me use my active imagination to build you some resources. Uh, and during his time in this digital space, creates like a forge within the valley beyond with which he could build back Dolores. There are too many hosts here. I'm going to come up with my own exclusive club. I mean, worlds within worlds within worlds. Who knows? Who knows what's going on? Uh, but I think that the biggest thing for me is um, a couple of things. One, Evan Rachel Wood, is just spectacular. Um, She's fantastic. Because the like, there's such a clear delineation between Christina and all of the other characters that she has played on the show. Uh, totally. Like all the various versions of Dolores. Like there are there are just some extraordinarily human quirks to this character. Like where where her eyes are drifting in scenes, just like little facial tics. Um, the way she carries herself and like fidgets with her hands, I think to a certain extent. Um, and then like mapping that onto some of the more familiar. Evan Rachel Wood iconography of Westworld, the way in which she wakes up. It's framed yep. exactly the way we've seen Dolores wake up in the past. Um, that juxtaposition to me is so compelling. And it's this is like when when you're talking about Westworld and if you're trying to be a nuisance and you're saying that the show is overrated and it sucks and there's nothing redeemable about it, I say, how dare you? Uh, and I point at the performances because by and large, this is one of the most incredibly talented casts on television. And I don't have to look much further than what Evan Rachel Wood is doing with a completely different character who may not be a completely different character, but for sure feels like one. Um, that's really, really, really impressive to me. I was very, very impressed with her performance in this episode. So that's thing one. I, I, I would love to hear your take just on like what she's doing with this character. I mean, cosine, cosine. I think what I really enjoy about this take is like you said, it's in the nuances and Evan Rachel Wood just shows how incredible of an actress she is that she is truly a chameleon. Uh, I mean, she was quite literally last season when everybody was Dolores's Delori, but here, this feels very different than the Dolores of season one, where, like you said, from a cinematography perspective, you can map a lot onto the Dolores storyline, complete with when she wakes up. When she wakes up, there's a painting in the corner, and remember mm -hmm. that Dolores likes to paint. Uh, you know, very much, again, speaking to, is she an inspiration? Is she instead a, uh, an upgrade or a knockoff, to use uh, sort of a term from a recent episode of The Boys, which we covered on post-show recaps? And I think there's a lot of similar mapping there, but Christina, while Dolores, I think, feels more, like, content in her small corner of the world that she has carved out, at least initially, Christina feels incredibly uncomfortable. Uh, she feels more like a Belle, you know, from Beauty and the Beast of, like, I don't feel like I fit in here. She has that conversation with that, uh, you know, that finance bro on her date, right, about how 
uh, he says, well, you can take this medicine if you feel like you don't fit. But she's like, but what if the world is broken and I'm the one that's not? Uh, which, valid. Uh, but I think that she is someone who is already, for lack of a better term, questioning the nature of her reality. And I think you see that sort of like lack of confidence in the character initially, which is, again, yet another different shade that Evan Rachel Wood is portraying here. Now, granted, this might be another audience analog thing like we saw with Caleb of just like, very unsure, very unconfident, very demure, and then like will eventually come over into her own as her purpose is revealed. But I'm really liking what it's done so far where, yes, it's supposed to mimic the Dolores that we see at the beginning of season one, but it feels like in a very different place, both geographically and emotionally. Yeah. Let me tell you the other thing that I'm thinking. They need to stick the landing on Christina. Whatever is going on here with the Christina storyline, it is such a swing, and I'm willing to give them the shot. I love a show that swings. Go for something. But God, this better be good. <laughs> really, yeah. It can't be a whiff. It can't be a whiff. If it's a whiff, it's going to be very harmful for the entirety of Westworld, I think. Um, but if they've got a really strong idea, and it can even connect emotionally, and that's going to be, you know, that's going to be good. But it cannot be like a huge swing and a miss. Uh, otherwise, I think we're gonna we're gonna really wonder what did we just spend all this time on, uh, and and also like what what are the implications of that for like a season five or however much longer this show is going to go. I'm um, I'm inclined to give this show a lot of rope and a lot of benefit of the doubt, and so I'm doing that exactly with Christina. I totally get it if some people are going to be frustrated with this storyline. I expect Mike it's going to be a slow burn. I think that it's mm -hmm. going to take a while before we know for sure what's going on, unless like the puzzle masters out there and we will do our best as well here to do it. Um, you know, get, get to like the William of it all and like, you know, figure it out the way that people figured out that William and the man in black were the same person in season one. Uh, yeah. we'll, do, we'll do our best to see if we can't crack this, but I think it's going to take a minute to crack and gosh, once it's open, that better be one hell of an egg. Yeah, that's the thing is uh, I'm almost waiting to like go back and watch this episode until that happens because again, that's the big mystery. And to your point, I do wonder if we're going to go back much like a good video game, right? Is it like a golden eye uh, where you're like, yeah, you know what? The graphics are a little jankier, but like actually very ahead of its time. Or is it, you know, something like Super Mario 64 where it's like, ah, all right, this is very, this is landmark, but at the same time, the controls are pretty jank. And I feel like I'd much rather, you know, play with an upgraded version. Yeah. Do you think that's Teddy? Do you think that that's straight up Teddy? Or do you have a thought on uh, on who James Morrison is playing this season? I mean, if I'm going with my own through line, I think he would be an inspiration for Teddy. I do not think, I just feel like, I don't know why do that, if that's the case. Like, I feel like his death at the end of season two was so memorable and like, so driving for the path of Dolores that I guess I could imagine bringing him back for like, that emotional rousing reason. But outside of that, uh, this show, I guess, good for the actors, right? It means longevity in terms of performances. That it's just like, hey, if you die, we can bring you back as a host, no problem. But it's a little comic booky sometimes when they get into like, well, this person was dead, but actually they're not dead uh, because they just got replaced or they got brought out of here. So I wouldn't really see an inc I, I could see the purpose for bringing him back as Teddy, but for me, it wouldn't be as salient unless, to your point, they really stick the landing, really drive the through line. I love James Marsden. I would love it more if he is just playing like a guy who happens to be this, unless it's a thing where like he and, and Christina are waking up together in a manner of speaking, which could be interesting as well. You and I talked about the final season of Lost, right? Where a lot of the reasons why people woke up 
was through somebody else, was through this concept of soulmates and constants, if you will. And if that ends up happening, maybe like the schmoopy part of me would be totally fine excusing the idea of just saying, yeah, we'll bring Teddy back. I was just going to make a joke about the sideways universe. And then there was part of me that was like, well, what if this is something sideways adjacent McCormick? And then the other thing that I'm thinking is if this does take place in the past and Christina is the basis for Dolores, then one, will we see a young uh, Robert Ford or an Arnold show up here who were somehow connected to this person? And if so, then Anthony Hopkins has to show back up because the show made, I think, the foolish choice of not doing the same thing that they did with Ed Harris and giving him a Jimmy Simpson counterpart. And instead, they just digitally de-aged Anthony Hopkins instead of casting somebody who should be a young Robert Ford, which I think they should have done. Uh, And so we'll see what that looks like if something like that is to come to bear. But then the other thing that I was thinking is if Christina is someone from the past, then maybe, just maybe, Mike, it's possible that what we are seeing isn't a flashback, but is some sort of like, contemporary like walk down memory lane the way that season two ended in the library and there was like this digital archival version of logan who is guiding dolores and bernard through the place and showing them memories of james delos and so like they're like living through flashbacks basically could there be something going on with teddy is being shown who christina was and like is that a way to like take inspiration of who this original person was and bring that back into the modern day, some sort of situation like that. Yeah. But if that's the case, then like, go why go through the entire rigmarole of like, here's a completely different person, you know, then just be like, yeah, this was Dolores. Get to know her as much. You do your cramming much like we did for this season. There'll be a test later for you to figure out who Dolores is later on. The thing that I would love about it, Mike, is it would effectively be Westworld doing time travel. You know, like it's basically sending Teddy back to like a point in the past to like examine a point in the past where uh, where like the proto Dolores existed. Uh, That would be like the closest that this show has gotten to like traveling through time uh, or backwards through time. Yeah, I I mean, essentially, Teddy would be a green seer, right? He'd be the brain in the tree like looking at the memories of somebody. (laughs) else. Wow. And it really tracks because he sat out an entire season uh, only to come back with renewed clairvoyant. Oh, no. If if Westworld ends with it being like, and now the keys to the park are going to Teddy. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not mad at it. (laughs) I mean, listen, I think it would work a lot better than Bran personally. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Let's talk about other things going on in this episode, Mike. Uh, There's everything that's happening with Caleb and Maeve, um, where we are dealing with the two of these people living lives many years after that final moment of season three between the two of them when they first linked up. (laughs) And they're Um, just like, uh, well, see ya. 
Yeah, bye. Uh, you know, season three ended with sort of that Fight Club style, wor worlds on fire uh, in the new world. How you about be yours? You could be whoever the F you want, Maeve tells uh, Caleb. And between then and now, we have illusions, illusions, Michael, of some <laughs> kind of uh, uh, war, some kind of conflict that played out during those years that it has been calm to a certain degree since then. But now the chickens are coming home to roost. And by the chickens, I mean the marshal from Lost is leading a robot hit squad against Maeve, who is living in some form of self-imposed exile, or at least she is striving for some kind of solitude in a cabin in the woods, uh, not belonging to Jacob, uh, where she is going to have to track and kill these people who have come to track and kill her. Uh, she is going to have enough um, time to, like, plug into the marshal's brain and if people didn't notice that was frederick lane he's the marshal yeah. from lost um, uh, and, like, he, and he was also from a westworld perspective uh, as you know Maeve will name yes. drop later on and he's brigham he was mm -hmm. a former leader of the confederados seen in the yes. first couple of seasons so they are still whoever is sending hosts after Maeve still has access to like the suite of hosts from yeah. westworld proper which confused me a little bit because correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't Ciroc like destroy a lot of the bodies of the hosts in season three, and in season two, the backups were destroyed as well. How difficult would it be though to, I guess, reprint uh, like new physical forms? I mean, they've they've done that with Bernard, they've done that with Dolores a bunch. So I feel like that data would not be terribly hard to replicate. Whether or not this is him with like the memories and like the values of well, the he character clearly doesn't have the form. memories. That's for sure. Concerning she names him, and he's like, I don't know who that is. Exactly. So, um, so I don't know, but it's a good question, and I do think it's like really notable that the Hit Squad is being headed up by somebody who. Who we have seen previously, not just in pop culture in the form of Frederick Lane being on Lost, but literally on Westworld back in season two. Um, so I think that it is something to pay close attention to that these hosts um, from the past are still being recycled to what end we don't know. Um, but Maeve is going to then uh, take this as like a tip off that she needs to go and reunite with Caleb who clearly there is a very big history between these two characters. Yeah, so we see it in brief flashes, but to the point that we made earlier, I think we're going to see more of it, where, again, at the end of season three, it seemed like they were ready to, again, uh, you know, step upon the ashes of this world and rebuild it anew, and it seemed like they were going in that direction, but uh, things happened. So let's talk about it, Josh. In one of the many flashes that Maeve has, her and Caleb have this, again, you know, action movie-esque jump off of this thing. We see Caleb lying on a rock, like, I guess, pierced with shrapnel, bleeding profusely. Yes. I mean, listen, there's got to be, like, a non-zero chance that he's That he host, died. Yes. Right? Yeah. This is what I was saying before. Um, so this guy in the very first scene of the season... Uh, is either being infiltrated by a fly that is like telling him what to do or is killed and replaced by a host or some third option that we're not uh, hitting on just yet. Um, but I, I think in the world in which he was killed and replaced by a host, there is a, a, and in a world where we've seen William get killed and be replaced by a host, there is absolutely to your point, a non-zero chance that something similar has happened to Caleb and the Caleb that we are going to see on Westworld moving forward is a host who may not know that he is a host. Uh, and I do think just generally speaking, we are inclined to watch Westworld assuming that everybody's a robot until proven otherwise. Yeah. Uh, and I think that season three 
very cleanly, clearly established that Caleb was who he said he was, who he thought he was, that he was a person, he was a human uh, who had, you know, come out the other side of war in this really traumatized state and lived a really tough life uh, all throughout. Um, but I think that the the fact that we have this huge almighty time jump between the end of three and the start of four gives us a lot of room for things to have changed. And I think one thing that could have very, very importantly changed based on this flash that we see of Maeve, um, you know, helping out like a really bloodied, worse for wear looking Caleb, that maybe he died there and that, um, you know, some sort of deal with the devil was struck or something like that to bring him back online, as it were. Um, I'm definitely looking out for that. And my, my for now hunch, Mike, is yeah, I think Caleb might be a robot. Yeah, because if you also think about the fact that Maeve was able to find him easily and you wonder like, Maybe it's just Maeve knows who he is, but we know that Maeve, one of her superpowers is this idea of the mesh network, right? Is this idea that like she can essentially connect with hosts that are in her proximity. If she brings, uh, makes Caleb into a host, either based on like one of her previous uh, encounters with another host or just like from the very beginnings of it all. I think she'd very easily be able to track him down and figure out where he is considering his move across coast because uh, Caleb, we should mention here, is probably one of the most changed characters, I think, by comparison to Maeve, who, to your point, seems like things went south at some point and she, like, went off the grid, uh, you know, in a snowy environment. Caleb is a family guy at this point. Uh, he has a wife. He has a daughter named Frankie. I don't know if his wife is named Grace, but that would be very fun uh, for many reasons. But essentially, like, Caleb is trying to live this normal life that he was never able to get in being one of these, like, outliers that was trying to be purged from the system of Rehoboam in Season 3. But at the same time, he constantly has one eye uh, over his shoulder, in a manner of speaking, right? Where his wife is really going to be making comments about the fact of how paranoid he is she basically says like the war is over but you essentially always think that it is a little man in black-esque right the comments about him of like you know you think you're doing it to protect yourself from the violence but actually like you enjoy the violence you like the violence and so Caleb is just a little on edge though I think it's it's confirmed as to why when you know this rando guy ends up like nearly shooting his daughter in the middle of the street yeah. How do we feel about um, uh, the fact that he is like like secretly clandestinely teaching his daughter how to shoot a gun uh, unbeknownst to his wife? This seems like something that maybe you should like share between uh, you and your spouse. This feels like something that should be a mutual decision. Well, yeah, here's the thing. Again, speaking from like my own perspective, Caleb is a very good dad. I don't know if necessarily he's teaching his daughter the right lessons, either consciously or unconsciously, right? Considering that she sleeps with a gun under her pillow is not a great look, dude. I, I am a little bit like team wife here. Was that Aurora Perrineau? I, I No, no, no. She has not shown up on the show quite yet. Um, so I don't know. I feel like, uh, I, I feel like you don't show Caleb's daughter knowing how to use a gun in the first act, unless you show us Caleb's daughter knowing how to use a gun in the last act. Oh, uh, here's a question. Could Aurora Perino be the grown up version of Caleb's daughter? That if we get some time travel, oh, it's possible, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, that could be cool. That could be fun. Um, yeah, I mean, like there could be a point where like uh, that's the thing, too, is uh, if you if you turn Aaron Paul, if you turn Caleb into a host, 
then we've got the potential for like all of the core cast to show up a thousand years in the future or something like that. And I, I really do want that. I really do think that something like that would be great. Like eight years is a big time jump for Westworld. I want a thousand years. Give me 800 years. Oh, that'd be wild. Uh, I mean, that would be at that point. I think humanity would be gone, just yeah. wiped off the face of the earth for many reasons. And so that'd be a little bit more uh, raised by wolves. I'm speaking on my ass because I've watched like one episode of the show, but that seems more something out of that category of like, here's an inhospitable planet that AI are trying to repopulate. Now, do we think, what do we think is the extent of the history between uh, Caleb and Maeve? We think some romance. Do you sense I, any uh, sort of like romantic past between the two of them? Or do you just sense like two travelers who were together during war and have a lot of shared history in that in that way? Like, is she the new Francis for Caleb, basically? Yeah, I really hope not. I'm really liked one of the things they did in season three was like not making Caleb a romantic interest for Dolores, that he didn't have like a puppy dog love for her. I think this was more so just like, a sense of of some being drawn to something being drawn to a greater purpose which again very much lies counter to like the first time that William met Dolores where he very much did hold that candle for her and then some so I really like that platonic aspect that I, I didn't necessarily want it to bloom into romance not to mention the fact that like one of the flashbacks that Maeve has while she's meditating right it's like what happened to poor Hector Escaton who was the closest thing she had to a love where she tries to bring him to life, but during this aforementioned time when Sorak ends up burning all the hosts in the park, like, he ends up dying there. And so, I don't know, I feel like a bit spitting on uh, one of one of Rodrigo Santoro's characters' many graves of, like, yeah, I'm going to get with this guy now. He's got real flesh. Yeah, but a lot of time has passed, Mike. You know, it's eight years. And, you know, how much did she really care for Hector anyway every time Hector is like I'm coming with you she's like no this one I gotta do alone she's like yeah I'm gonna leave Westworld now but you get to stay here and then they like reunite in season two and he seems to be totally fine with that but there are more than a few times where I feel like Maeve is like yeah I kind of just gotta cheese it Hector see ya uh so I don't know uh that guy and I love Rodrigo Santoro and I think that Hector Escaton is a great character but I don't know that I get the same like they are star-crossed star-crossed loves the same way that Dolores and Teddy might be yeah, I don't know. But then to that point, like, are you shipping them? Is that what you're implying here? Um, Aaron Paul and Tandway Newton uh, getting to be like the new OTP of Westworld. Yeah, that sounds kind of fun. No, I don't know. I got to see it to believe it, my yeah. dude. Like they barely had stuff to interact with. I'm not throwing two fun. celebrities into the mixing bowl and seeing if these two ingredients are able to mix. I, I got to taste it first. Um, So they are so they're so they're teamed up by the end of the episode that she has, you know, uh, she has she's come to Caleb. She has brought back like some of the crew. It seems like that there's uh, uh, one who I recognize, Manny Montana, who was um, gosh, what was the name of the show with Christina Hendricks uh, that recently aired that a he good, was good girls yeah I think it's revolt. it yeah and and he had a really good role on that so I'm excited to see what he is going to do as one of like the one of the soldiers on this squad what is his character going to look like moving forward uh, so clocked him um, and so there's a bit of like a contingent that is together now and they are going to hit the road, and what exactly is their agenda? Is it just get the heck as far away from my family as possible so that they're not in danger anymore? Or do you see like a real true aim to what it is they're going to do? 
Well, it seems like what Maeve is figuring out, right, is like their location has been compromised and that Hale is sending hosts after them. She also has some intel about like the cold open that we saw, which again, also kind of like confirms the timeline that is happening uh, contiguous to the cold open events at least. So I'm imagining their MO is to like fortify themselves against Hale, then eventually track her down and kill her. Right. Cause like, otherwise what is the big plan? Yeah. Um, I think taking maybe, maybe, out could be finding a Bernard of like, okay, we know that he has the key. So like, let's make sure we protect him a little bit of like a, an escort mission again, to go back to some video game parlance. Yeah. Do you think they know where Bernard is? If they did, if they knew where Bernard was, uh, Maeve wouldn't be here anymore, probably. Yeah, I would imagine that this is something that, like, they haven't tapped into uh, just because they, like, wanted to rebuild and not necessarily think about it. Maybe Maeve got something pinged where, like, Bernard happened to wake up coincidentally at this time as well. So, like, now she got a notification about it almost, like an Amber Alert. And she's like, okay, we've got to go find him now, uh, which is not what an Amber Alert necessarily does. But for the sake of this metaphor, yeah, I'm imagining that it's going to have them crossing paths with Bernard. They were so freaking siloed in season three, specifically like Bernard and Maeve never interacted with each other. Maybe once at that charity ball. No, she was in Singapore, I think. Like she was doing other stuff for Ciroc then. So I got to imagine they got to bring them together in some capacity. I know I was just saying like, yeah, let's not like ship characters together for the celebrities of it all. But like, I want to see Jeffrey Wright and Aaron Paul share a scene. Come on, man. There's yeah. two of the best actors of our generation. Yep. I totally agree. I want that very much uh, as well for us. So hopefully we're going to, we're going to get that. I have the question for you, Mike, as to where we think we are going to see Bernard and Charlotte next. Do you think it's going to be as soon as episode two? I have not watched the trailer for episode two yet. I will in time for the feedback show. As I have not as well. I think, let's see, which character do we think we'll see first? I think we will see Bernard first. I think Bernard will be our episode two opener. Uh, I think he is somebody who I would say is maybe, maybe more integral to the show than Charlotte Hale at this point, just considering how large the character has been since the very beginning. And I think Hale has already kind of been represented through the Man in Black, whereas Bernard and Stubbs have just been completely MIA. So I think the show creators will want us to check in with them first. I would not be surprised if we saw them both in episode two, but I think of the two, we're seeing Bernard first. Um, I think that that... I think that that's right. I think that having um, having Charlotte sort of like in the shadows, Holoris, uh, is is a good call. Um, because I think she has been set up as the arch villain of the show at this point. Uh, and I, I am fine to wait a little while so that when she comes into the, into the story that she arrives with great impact. Um, but Bernard, who also is holding a huge key haha, to the puzzle, um, is somebody who it might be a little hard to reintegrate to the show soon without moving the storyline forward too quickly. Um, so there's some tension there in terms of like the utility of Bernard right now, but especially after season three, he's a little bit of like a passive passenger where he's like, he's on the detective story, but he is like a little bit further behind than everybody else. Um, I do want to see him hold the answers to some questions, but also be able to be on the show with that information, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think that makes sense of like, like you said, like Bernard, especially in season three, has always been just like one step behind everybody. It'd be nice, it'd be nice to see him out ahead for like once, you know, yeah. that it's not just this guy waking up and be like, what's happening? What's going on? 
how do I navigate this new world? Uh, if we're four for four with that, then now we're starting to realize that this dude's not stretching as much as he could. A uh, couple other questions that I had. The scene with Caleb and his coworker, and we are like very notably missing his robot coworker, even though that one specifically is dead, but the idea of a robot coworker on the construction site. Um, we're getting the sense that machines have been banned, Mike? Is that right? Or at least maybe from the industry. Again, like I was scanning and obviously, again, we still have the cars and the drones and everything. But correct me if I'm wrong here, Josh, like I didn't see a bot at all. When Christina went out to the restaurant, uh, everyone who was there, at least from my perspective, seemed to be human. Now, maybe they have upgraded the tech so far in the past eight years that like, once again, much like Westworld, if you can't, if you can't tell the difference, does it really matter? But yeah, I feel like the days of like, lack of flesh and blood just pure metallic beings at least are gone from the construction arena yeah um i don't know uh because i you definitely get the sense that uh that uh dolores as charlotte is still very much in the mix and is still very much in some form of power and if that's the case is she known as a you know is she known as a robot or is she um, is she like hiding in plain sight? You know, I just I have a lot of questions about what exactly could be going on with her and her leadership positioning within the world as it currently stands. And if she's in charge, why she would want to restrict certain types of machines. There's a lot of questions that I have as for like the hierarchy of the world and specifically Charlotte's place within it right now. Charlotte's Place sounds like a fantastic TV show where she's mm -hmm. like, uh, hello, I'm Charlotte Hale, and I'm going to teach you how we're going to take over all your lives and yeah. uh, let the metal blood rule. It's Hale and Charlotte's. Yeah, uh, that would be the theme song. Is how it's I Hailing would... Charlotte? Yeah, that's what I would pitch. That's what I would pitch. Ouch. Get. I mean, the, like, don't even put your umbrella away. Like, Stay away. Make sure yeah, your just roof stay is inside. well fortified because yeah, like, Tessa Thompson is falling through the roof. Yeah, with the ferocity of a hailstorm, that's tough. Yeah, exactly. But listen, I don't know. Some people would pay good money to have Tessa Thompson fall through their roof. So like, you know, uh, suppose different strokes, true. I suppose. I suppose that's true. Um, Mike, anything else from the premiere? This is just our first pass. We're going to have the second pass on the feedback show. Anything that you want to make sure that you get out of your system now before we come back for that feedback show? Yeah, you want to talk credits for a little bit? Anything sure. stand out to you amongst the the various images seen in the credit sequence? Well, so the like the 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 the, the control units, which is uh, Westworld parlance for a body, right? Um, that we we are seeing being like dipped into the milk and emerging from it, uh, all have like decidedly human skulls. It looks like correct. Yeah, so it seems like the bodies that we see coming out of the white goo, I believe in the past few seasons, it's always been like a fully formed body. Right. To your point, this is like a skeleton with musculature that we know did not exist previously. So to your point, it could be this idea, again, like with the flies of now humans are the hosts in a manner of speaking, could lead to just like more advanced technology to make these hosts seem more like humans on the inside. Should also be noted that, like, during the process, there's some sort of smoke that is sent in there. I don't know if that's, like, bringing things down to a freezing temperature or anything, but that's very different in the process from what we're usually used to with making hose. Yeah. Uh, and so I think, like, the the human skull of it all, that, that, like, repeated image for me, Mike, 
definitely feels aligned with the idea of people being taken, killed, replaced with hosts, and unaware of it. Uh, you know, basically going about their days and not even knowing that that's what's happened to them. Um, so that's like the imagery from the credits that I'm I'm paying the most attention to. I think that the other thing that it could be, um, you know, speaking to in a in a non-literal way and in a much more thematic one is uh is like continuing to riff on the final words of season three at least the final pre-credits words of season three in the new world you can be whoever the f you want to be uh and this idea here in uh season four adapt or die the tagline of westworld season four that we have seen a little bit of um could be that these are people that like this is a, an opportunity to like rewrite human history and rewrite um what it means to be alive and you know the choices that you get to make and so the fact that we don't see the skin on these people uh that they are still in the process of being made still being born choosing who they want to be what kind of bodies they want to inhabit effectively um could be something that is being explored in season four Another image I wanted to speak about is uh, a first for Westworld. Now, I know like Rehoboam and Solomon had this big appearance, right, of the giant globe. And we get one sort of here, but it looks more and resembles more of like a multi-celled organism, right? And we begin with it and we end with it as well. And that we have this image throughout of like two people without features, like trying to reach for each other, but there seems to be some sort of I don't know, like transparent barrier between them. And then it pans out to reveal that there are actually a lot of people in these little cells. And then it pans out further to reveal that like they are making this up as well. Now it could be just as loosely symbolic as like, this is the world, right? It's often said that we, uh, we revolve in our own little bubbles and that we have trouble contacting other people outside of our own bubbles. And that could be it here. Could this be perhaps a foreshadowing for like if Christina is indeed in a program that like she is one of many people that are sort of jacked into their own individual world and that maybe there is now some bleed over happening with somebody like Peter revealing that it's a game uh it could still represent humanity as well that to Caleb's co-workers point despite Rehoboam being broken you think the shackles are taken off but like how much are you truly running even without shackles? Or are you just staying put? I right. just thought it was a really interesting image to end that opening credit sequence with and to see who it might apply to. All right. Well, we want to get theories from people about the credits, uh, about what's going on with Christina. Do you think Caleb is a is a host all of a sudden? What does the man in black want with all of this land? Where is Charlotte? Where is Bernard? All of the questions that we want to get from all of you as you are reacting to the season four premiere. Plenty of ways to get that to us. Westworld at postshowrecaps.com is our official email address for this podcast. That's Westworld at postshowrecaps.com. You can also email myself and Mike, Josh at postshowrecaps.com, Mike at postshowrecaps.com. You can tweet at us as well at Round Howard at a Mike Bloom type and send some tweets over to Joe Garfine at Joe Pinionated as well. She will be joining us as soon as she is able to do so. You can also talk to us in the Post Show Recaps patron discord, patreon.com slash recaps if you want to sign up and support the podcast directly. We certainly appreciate that. And there is a great, great array of people who are not just watching Westworld, but so many other shows who are talking with us in the Post Show Recaps patron Discord. A big, sprawling chat room service, effectively, is what that is. If you are not familiar with Discord, it's my favorite place on the internet. If you want to come and hang out with us in there, 
we would greatly appreciate that. And we think that you would have a lot of fun. In the meantime, at the very least, if you have some time in your busy, busy lives to leave us a rating and review on the Westworld Post Show Recaps podcast, we would so appreciate that as well. It means a lot to us as we are trying to find as many Westworld fans as possible to talk to about this show. We are all that we have left, folks. We need <laughs> to stick together. Yes, exactly. Uh, Lest, you know, some of our other hosts, quite literally on other podcasts, take us over. But no, we've been super grateful, especially for those that have been like following us in the lead up to it. I know there are certainly some people that are probably coming in here for the first time just to like check out our season four coverage. Welcome. We're happy to have you. Hopefully uh, Josh and I, with our random ramblings, have not like uh, encouraged you to check out other avenues. But we're going to have a really fun time this season. I think if this episode is any indication We're going to have a lot to discuss and especially puzzle through over the course of this season. And that's really one of the fun things about Westworld and especially like the week to week. I know there's been a lot of talk about week to week versus a binge in terms of storytelling. I love week to week with Westworld because of stuff we get to do like this, where it's just a lot of throwing out questions and trying to get subsequent answers to it over the course of seven days. Yes, uh, totally agreed with all of that, Mike. Uh, If you're not sick of Mike Bloom and myself and you are watching Stranger Things right now, if you're not aware, Mike and I are podcasting about Stranger Things here on Post Show Recaps. This Westworld season four premiere recap is posting the same week that Stranger Things season four is going to drop the final two episodes of its season, July 1st. Mike and I have been talking about season four for a month and some change now at this point, and we're really hyped to get back into closing out season four. So if you've been on the Stranger Things ride, you don't have a podcast uh, for, for, your, uh, for your listening pleasure as you've been trying to figure out all things upside down, Mike and I have got one for you if that sounds fun to you. Just search Post Show Recaps Stranger Things in your podcatcher of choice and you will find us there. Mike Bloom is also podcasting about the boys. If you are a fan of the superhero stuff, Mike's got the boys. I've got Ms. Marvel. Both of us have Kevin Mahadeo as our co-host on those <laughs> podcasts. Yeah, exactly. We share a commonality in that way. He is our host in a manner of speaking that we are just sort of like passing him back and forth. I'm also finishing up a uh, coverage of Obi-Wan Kenobi, which has been very fun with myself. DM Philly and Latanya Starks. I'm also gearing up for uh, talk about games, Josh. We're about to launch into a d- different kind of reality games in a couple ways with the premieres of the Challenge All Stars and uh, Big Brother 24 is happening as well. Got some stuff about that over at Parade.com if you're into the reality stuff. But otherwise, we've got our our drives humming over here uh, at Post Show Recaps. I'm really excited to get into the feedback as well. I- intrigued to hear like Josh and I have obviously been banding with ourselves. I'm sure someone's going to come in with like a really badass theory that's going to blow our minds and our yep, brain can't wait. wide open. Yes, that's going to be really fun. Someone's about to break the season in half, and I can't wait to find that out in a couple of days when we come back with the Season 4 Feedback Podcast. Uh, really excited to see what you all thought about the premiere. We will bring that into the next podcast here on the Westworld feed. Until then, everybody, you can bring yourselves offline. Instacart shoppers know groceries. They know that you can't make guacamole with rock-hard avocados. They know how to quickly find those peanut butter pretzels you can never find. And they keep you in the know by giving you updates about your order along the way. Let Instacart shoppers help take shopping off your plate so you can get time and energy back for what really matters. Visit instacart.com or download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum order $10. Additional terms apply. Instacart. Add life to cart. 
Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.